this is Visedia, the source for inclusive, actionable dialogue on funding and creating a better world. If you're building the future, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Skylar Cole. Before we start the show, I'd like to share that if you're listening to the audio podcast, we're also on YouTube. You can watch this episode there as well as check out video exclusive content. If you're already watching from YouTube, thank you. Today, I am so excited to talk with Mio Yamamoto. Mio is a co-founder and executive director of World in Tohoku. Mio has more than 12 years of experience in providing high-impact social entrepreneurs with management, capacity building, and funding support. Along with her experience in marketing, sales, and strategy consulting in the private sector, she's building a platform where leaders from private, public, and civic sectors promote cross-sector, cross-border collaboration to accelerate social change. In the wake of the Great East Japan Earthquake, she co-founded World in Tohoku, formerly World in Asia, to support social entrepreneurs in the disaster-affected area. As Executive Director of WIT, she's providing management, funding, and impact assessment support to nine social entrepreneurs in such areas as education, job creation for disabled persons and ethnic minorities, and citizen-led community development. Mio and I discuss a range of topics in social entrepreneurship relevant to those working in the U.S., Japan, and worldwide. Now let's get started. Awesome. So Mio, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yay. No, I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, so to start, will you share your uh, background and your journey into kind of social innovation? Sure. Um, so uh, I'm originally from Japan and I moved to the United States 10 years ago. Uh, it was uh, in my, I guess, um, uh, sophomore year in college or final senior year in the college when I first encountered the word social entrepreneur. Oh. So I I was interested, I was measuring international relations and then I got interested in uh, maybe working for uh, international NGOs uh, after graduation. So uh, before deciding on that, I did a summer internship in Malaysia, working for a nonprofit over there and then spent two months there. And then what I found over there was, okay, nonprofits are doing great meaningful work. And then but it is also uh, challenging most of the times for them to be uh, financially sustainable and mm-hmm. then uh, resourceful, right? right? So I wanted to bridge this gap between the nonprofit and the uh, business sector. Mm-hmm. So I decided after graduation from college, I decided to go to go, go to work for private sector first and then uh, I wanted to come back to the nonprofit sector later. So that's why I decided to, to uh, work for uh, uh, company, uh, which was actually a chemical company in Japan, mm-hmm. in Tokyo, and then spent uh, four years there. Uh, at the same time, I got interested in social entrepreneurship. So mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a kind of um, notion to connect the applied business skills mm-hmm. to the nonprofit sector uh, and then entrepreneurship mindset, of course. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I met a founder of Social Venture Partners Tokyo, which is a venture philanthropy organization uh, that was started in Seattle, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got, 
I became a partner of Social Venture Partners Tokyo in 2004, uh, five, and then uh, started uh, supporting social entrepreneurs based in Tokyo, uh, both financially but also uh, uh, capacity building. Mm -hmm. So I did some pro bono and voluntary work uh, to support them. And then I fast forward, I came to the States, uh, married to my husband and and then uh, there was this uh, earth, big earthquake and tsunami mm -hmm. uh, that hit uh, Japan in 2011. Mm -hmm. I was in New Jersey and um, I was thinking with my friends, talking with my friends, well, what can we do from a remote place like the mm -hmm. US? And because um, most of the co-founders of this organization, uh, Current WIT, had um, social entrepreneurship background. Mm -hmm. We decided to uh, start a nonprofit, um, and then start uh, social entrepreneurs in Tohoku. That's why we started WIT. We we called our organization uh, initially Working yeah. Asia, and then changed the name mm -hmm. to WIT uh, several years later. Uh, but um, so that's how we started our organization. And initially, we, we started with uh, supporting, uh, providing management support to social entrepreneurs in Chohoku mm -hmm. uh, in different uh, issue areas like education, mm -hmm. poverty alleviation, uh, community building, aging, uh, care. Uh, yeah, lots of uh, social issues. Mm -hmm. And we pivoted our business models uh, several times. Now I am here. Wow, that's fantastic. And I love the intentionality of World in Tohoku and kind of the name. Uh, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about why World in, World in Asia and then World in Tohoku. Thank you for asking the question. I so World in Asia and then uh, later World in Tohoku started with this philosophy or vision where we, we want to create a create a world where everyone can uh, use heart, tap into their, their their expertise and experience and skills and contribute to better the world, better the society. And so Tohoku for us and for I think many people is not a, is not a disaster affected place, mm. um, but it's kind of an opportunity to um, gather wars, resources, and then uh, wisdom mm -hmm. to Chohoku to and then kind of pour the water into Chohoku. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, when we work with global aid with social entrepreneurs and people with in Chohoku, we can rediscover mm -hmm. uh, what's there in Chohoku. Mm -hmm. and then what they can offer or give back to the world. So uh, it has kind of this like a two-way meanings. Mm -hmm. We wanted to rediscover Tohoku world inside of Tohoku, mm -hmm. but also we want to pour the world into Tohoku. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think it just shows there's so much to be learned, like appreciating the space and, and where you are, but also uh, being open to and, and learning from others. That's just uh, really fantastic.
Uh, could you share more about what uh, some of are the activities of, of World in Tohoku and um, how various stakeholders interact? I know you work with social entrepreneurs, but uh, if you could share more about that. Sure. We do, uh, we do different types of programs, but our like common thread mm-hmm. uh, among our different programs is to connect uh, social entrepreneurs and um, professionals from uh, various sectors, including business sectors and public and academic. So we, and then uh, not, not only from Japan, but also mm-hmm. from the US and potentially from other parts of the world. So we kind of convene these different stakeholders or participants mm-hmm. into one place uh, offline or online mm-hmm. and then have them uh, uh, provide them opportunity to collaborate with each other. Uh, we do uh, capacity building to kind of grow their the capacity to mm-hmm. collaborate with each other and then learn mm-hmm. from their uh, from each other. So um, uh, more specifically, we do a cross-border learning journey, which you, Skylar, participated last year. It's a it's a uh, several days to uh, a week program, uh, and then we spend uh, some time in. It's it, uh, like a retreat style. We spend some time in Tokyo and then Tohoku and other places of the uh, of Japan with uh, U.S. Japan leaders from nonprofit and private sectors, and then we have uh, followed by a peer group uh, sessions, virtual sessions, kind of um, peer uh, mentoring, coaching mm-hmm. uh, groups uh, over the next uh, six months. That's what what you have participated. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also provide uh, leadership training, uh, especially cross-border, cross-boundary leadership training to uh, Japanese corporate uh, employees, uh, also uh, uh, college students, sometimes high school students. So we do a range of things. And, and like you said, I had the absolute honor of being able to participate last year, and I'm so thankful. I think I think I've I've shared this before, but one of my friends sent the email with the cross border learning journey, and I'm so glad she's. I'm going to make sure she listens to this episode so to hear her uh, <laughs> shout out. But um, it was fantastic. It, honestly, uh, really my first experience in in group when I first came to Japan last year. So, so thankful. And the program is just really fantastic. So I'm excited to share it with with, with more people and hopefully uh, more people can learn about it. And um, one thing that you've you've mentioned and is a big part of uh, the program and your different um, activities is really bringing the capacity building and the business mindset. So I think that's still in a lot of social settings or social ventures there can be some tension between kind of thinking, having this, the business mindset, but it's a tool, it's a way to, like you said, be able to collaborate and, and do even more great work. Um, and so I would love to talk more about kind of the importance of cross-border learning and why that is um, kind of a main, uh, one of the main programs. So what, what value does it bring? Uh, great question. I would love to hear what your, your thoughts as well, yeah. but um so cross border border doesn't have to be across different countries. Mm-hmm. It can be across different organizations, mm-hmm. uh, different regions, different sectors, uh, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, different um, ethnicities, and then uh, it could also mean different, um, different. I I would say 
ah, it's hard to, it, it could be something in, inside yourself. You have yeah. your own comfort zone and then it's always meaningful to get out of the comfort zone sometimes, many times, and then um, explore uh, what's new mm -hmm. to you, right? Absolutely. And then why, why it's important. So um, when the world is becoming ever more and more complex, mm -hmm. uh, uncertain, and then require more and more leadership to uh, improve the society, I think uh, we really need to keep crossing the, the boundaries around us. Otherwise, it's really easy for us to kind of uh, stick in, in, stay inside of our comfort zones and then stay there forever, right? But um, that's not uh, what we would like to vision as a future. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's really important to uh, identify boundaries around you and then kind of cross make opportunity to cross the borders with others and uh, what you can figure out what you can do to to better the society. Absolutely. And I and in my own experience, um, even just the first week of the program uh, last summer, I was immediately open to different ways of thinking about problems, but also seeing what problems different people are, are facing. Um, and that even as someone who is very interested in the social space and social entrepreneurship, really expanding my ideas of what does that mean and how do people go about um, um, executing and making things that are useful and helpful uh, in their areas of interest. So that's something I immediately started to, kind of it opened my mind uh, being a, a part of the program. And I think you bring a, an amazing point of also the uh, boundaries you have just personally uh, with uh, your comfort zone. And I find that uh, some I've recently realized that you know there's other areas and other aspects of diversity inclusion that I don't necessarily uh, fully have a, or a lot of background in. So I'm saying, well, this is something I care about. Let me expand what that means to me and read more. So kind of realizing a, maybe a boundary that I had crossed and as far as learning more about uh, uh, different things. So I, I think you're right. It's, so borders, not just geography, but there's all types of borders and, and things we can, we can learn. Uh, so definitely uh, agree with that. I'm wondering though that even before uh, the, the global pandemic with COVID, um, I imagine there's challenges with uh, having a cross-border learning program. Uh, I wonder if you could share some of those, uh, some of those challenges. We try to cultivate mm -hmm. like cross-boundary, boundary-spanning relationships, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it requires a lot of, um, lot of understanding with each other yeah. and then which requires time right time and a certain amount of um, amount of um, time and spending together and then doing things together right mm -hmm. and then even if we spend a certain amount of time like for a week in Japan together uh, people from US and Japan uh, people from different sectors social entrepreneurs, nonprofits, business, right. right? 
even even though we can build some sort of relationship during that week, mm-hmm. it's um, it's also difficult to maintain mm-hmm. the the momentum or yeah momentum of the the, the, the relationship uh, for a long time after we each other go back home, right? right. So um, I think it is. Um, a good challenge for us to uh, explore, keep exploring. Mm-hmm. How can we harness and cultivate this virtual mm-hmm. boundary crossing relationship? Right. Even though we don't have like luxury to meet with each other in person all the time, right? And then under after this pandemic hit, mm-hmm. I think this is more and more uh, meaningful Mm-hmm. Uh, to many people in the world, how can we uh, keep cultivating good relationship mm-hmm. with a variety of people uh, without this like a uh, freedom to <laughs> go go out and then uh, have serendipitous like encounters? Right. Yeah, Absolutely. but I think it's a good ch- good challenge. Yes, definitely. Because I think there's so much opportunity uh, in figuring out, like you said, how to maintain relationships. Because um, even without a pandemic, being not in the same geography uh, does pose challenges because you go back to different contexts and different responsibilities and, and things. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what kind of tools and how people use tools to um, really maintain those relationships and not just kind of the initial interaction, but, but long term. Uh, so in addition to challenges, the program has so many uh, successes, and I would love to uh, highlight some of those. If you could share some uh, particular successes or groups or entrepreneurs or uh, anything that, that you'd like to share about that. Sure. Um, we have many great stories from participants, like transformative um, stories. Um, Already, it's already happening. Uh, so la- from last year's uh, cross-border learning journeys participants, uh, some of them at least um, decided to pursue their passion and then uh, change their jobs mm-hmm. and or found new jobs, uh, which were more or more satisfying to them. Uh, and then some of them, uh, many of them keep connected stay connected with each other virtually and uh, uh, offering uh, advice support with each other, which is great. And uh, from uh, uh, past per, uh, program participants, we see uh, collaboration um, among Japanese social entrepreneurs and then uh, business professionals from the US and Japan. And then uh, actually some entrepreneurs uh, from Tohoku area uh, came to visit the, the U.S. Mm-hmm. to uh, uh, to do some uh, community develop, uh, mm-hmm. building events in New York, but also uh, others came to uh, Philadelphia to uh, present their ideas in the in the, the public health. Uh, what was that? The public American Public Health Association. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, a lot of great collaborations are happening already, and then we would like to see more and more. Absolutely. And I 
One, one point you raised about um, kind of either changing jobs or doing something that you're really passionate about. And I think even for me uh, through the program and kind of exploring the space, seeing what's possible. Um, Cause I think a lot of roles and opportunities not aren't necessarily obvious, or maybe if you're in college or high school, you don't know they're necessarily out there, uh, but there's a lot of great work that needs to be done and you know opportunities for people to contribute in different ways. I'm wondering with kind of all the successes, what do you think um, makes a cross-border learning journey or program successful? What are maybe some elements or aspects that um, make it so people can connect and discover new things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there are some. Uh, first, I think um, identifying uh, participants who are really um, passionate and have their own motivations to uh, join this program. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really important to have those kind of um, individual, each each individual motivation. And uh, second is uh, create a open and safe space where people can connect um, and then uh, connect with each other, uh, both in during the program, but also like informally or casually, right? right. It is also important to set expectations mm -hmm. um, and then talk about these expectations and concerns um, all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because when people have different expectations or results differ from their own expectations, then that's where this kind of frictions occur, right? right. And uh, so for our uh, program design or implementation side, it is really, really important to clarify and communicate what's the expectation here and then what we can do here and then what you can do here to uh, make this program great. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Absolutely. And as far as getting participants who are really motivated and have their own internal motivations, I definitely felt that uh, it was really energizing to be around so many people who bring their own goals and aspirations into the program. Um, and, and like you said as well, being in a safe space, because I think uh, either if you cross a physical boundary or just a personal boundary, it can be very, it can be uh, scary or, or you can get nervous, but I always felt that it was in a very safe space, a place to learn and collaborate. I think those are r really important aspects. Um, so in addition to the cross-border learning journey, there's also the um, board fellow program. And uh, if you could share about that, that'd be great. Sure. Uh, it's an exciting new program that we are launching right now. So uh, in the U.S., uh, becoming board fellow, non-profits board fellow, uh, board board members is kind of um, uh, widely like a, a known like a practice, right? Mm -hmm. And then people do that for to 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 hone their leadership. People do that to contribute back to the society, right? It's kind right. of a um, uh, social state. It could be social status to serve on the the, the nonprofit boards, right? But in Japan, this area is kind of uh, not like a cultivated yet mm -hmm. and then we see a huge potential uh if you can bring in more like a di diverse like voices to nonprofit boards and diverse people with networks and resources or or with some viewpoints it will be um 
uh, huge contribution to the nonprofit sector and social causes they're uh, trying to address. So we wanted to, we, we started, we actually started board and governance training for nonprofit leaders in Japan uh, four years ago. And then uh, this year I published a, a translation of a book uh, uh, on nonprofit governance. So we decided, okay, it's, I think it's time to kind of really try to connect uh, nonprofit leaders and the business persons or other professionals as like a potential board members or advisors, mentors, and then provide them capacity building and opportunity to, to uh, um, start a relationship and maintain relationship. Mm -hmm. So um, we hope to we hope to uh, have more and more people coming in, to, in to, on, on board uh, to the nonprofit boards. That's amazing. And I didn't ha hadn't thought so much about the differences and kind of uh, the status, the, the motivations to be on a nonprofit board and what that looked like in Japan. Uh, so I'm wondering uh, if you could share some more about social entrepreneurship in Japan, how popular is it? Uh, kind of social entrepreneurship is nonprofit. If you could share kind of the ecosystem or what this current status is, that'd be great. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I think it's growing. Mm. And then um, when I uh, started this social entrepreneurship support work in two thousand five. It was right after the word of word social entrepreneurship was imported in, into Japan uh, from around the world. Mm -hmm. So it, it was just starting. And now, uh, right now, 15 years later, uh, we have uh, many uh, innovative social entrepreneurs. We have uh, uh, foundations and then intermediate organizations. We have uh, pro bonos, volunteers. Uh, we have many uh, players and the ecosystem is growing, but still it's not uh, at the level of the US or uh, other advanced countries, like a nonprofit advanced countries yet, but uh, it's, 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 it's been very interesting. And then uh, disasters like the Hashiawaji earthquake or Tohoku earthquake uh, uh, definitely uh, accelerated the, this sense of a uh, 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 philanthropy, um, practice of philanthropy among people in Japan. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that it, it's quite amazing to see an, an event, even though you know, how, how terrible uh, it was, bring so many, motivate so many people to um, act and to organize in, in some way. Um, and along, along those lines of, of differences, uh, you mentioned that in about 2005, the word social entrepreneurship came to Japan. So I'm wondering, uh, it, it, and, and you work both in the U.S. and Japan and are an in, interpreter and you, you uh, uh, do that work as well. So I'm wondering, in speaking about these topics related to social entrepreneurship, are there differences in a U.S. or a more uh, international setting versus in Japan or um are there, I guess, nuances or differences that, that you find in, in these conversations? So when I hear about or talk about social entrepreneurship in U.S., in the U.S., I hear a mix of for-profit and non-profit entities mm -hmm. with like a mission-driven, social mission-driven organizations. Mm -hmm. And uh of course, social entrepreneurship, the definition or notion, uh, the definition varies people by people. Right. 
but I think in the U.S. it includes both. Mm. But uh, in Japan, of course, there are many social entrepreneurship, and then uh, some of them are for profit, and then many of them are non-profit. But still, um, I think the trend is more like a non-profit, mm. like as legal entities, non-profit mm. uh, social entrepreneurs are still dominant which i don't think it's right or wrong mm-hmm. but i just see that the difference and then this is not really a difference yeah. to, to answer your question but uh, what i feel what i have felt um mm-hmm. being in the us and japan at the same time over the past uh, 10 years mm-hmm. uh in the social entrepreneurship sector mm-hmm. so um there are many interesting, innovative social entrepreneurs in Japan, but mm-hmm. they are not really known to the world. Right, right, yeah. And then, and then the the the, the world, or I mean, English speaking mm-hmm. uh, communities, don't know what's happening in Japan, right. and there is this information gap, mm-hmm. and then that's not uh, that's unfortunate, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I hope opportunities like this uh, will kind of, um, I don't know, bridge the gap or uh, I hope many entrepreneurs in Japan um, start uh, collaborating with the world or vice versa, uh, we're going to happen. And then, yeah, that's what I want to see. Yeah, I completely agree. Because even in my experience so far, there's so many amazing entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs doing very interesting things that I really haven't heard of previously. And I think you're right, kind of the information gap. Um, because I think even language, whether it's language or culture, or geography, that uh, those can be, you know, factors in, in, in people not knowing about these things. But um, so much opportunity and in, in Japan and also through collaboration uh, that I, I hope I also hope to see uh, hopefully more people can hear this and, and, and want to collaborate um, and so uh, I'm wondering so uh, for the audience who may hear this and want to engage or or wants to come to Japan or do something related to Japan uh, do you have any advice for someone who's interested in having a career that spans maybe the U.S. and Japan, or or, are coming to Japan? Uh, I guess, um, uh, yeah, I I would love to see more and more people like that. And then uh, uh, after this pandemic uh, settles out, I really recommend people come to Japan and Mm -hmm. actually experience, uh, have the experience, and then meet people and then connect with them, Mm -hmm. because that's, totally different from uh, just reading or listening to uh, what's gonna uh, what's what it's like in Japan right mm-hmm, definitely. so uh, actually experience by yourself and uh, uh, huh it really it, I think it totally depends in the fields mm-hmm. my next advice will be but if you are interested in social entrepreneurship um, there are there are definitely interesting wonderful entrepreneurs and then uh, uh, players and ecosystem out there so uh, and then, and then I think we, 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 we all welcome you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, hope to see more and more international global players. Absolutely. And I think something too, that I'm based in Tokyo right now and love Tokyo, but 
there are so many amazing things outside of Tokyo. It's, of course, it's a major city, but uh, like for the program, we went to Obuse and probably one of my, honestly, one of my favorite places in Japan. I'm so happy I could go early on and learn about the amazing things that are going on there. So highly recommend. Uh, Tokyo's great. <laughs> Other big cities are great, but kind of places you don't hear about as much are really exciting as well. I totally agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Hey everyone, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to Vcedia. I'm excited to connect with others hungry to build a better future. If you share the vision, I'd love to hear from you. For guests and partnership inquiries, send an email to hello at vcedia.com or DM on Twitter at the underscore vcedia. Also, please leave Vcedia a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would really help. Now back to our conversation. Mio is discussing creating and cultivating the social entrepreneurship ecosystem in Japan. Yeah, we are. Um, so at the same time, like, so, so I just mentioned, like, talked about the board fellow program that we are yes. launching. Right. And then, um, but uh, this market is so new mm-hmm. uh, and niche, kind of niche in Japan. Right. right. And. So we have to create and cultivate the market at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And then also we would love to learn what is kind of a non-profit board and governance uh, sphere mm-hmm. outside of the U.S. and Japan. Mm-hmm. I know how nonprofits work in the U.S. in general. Yeah. I know how the boards work, but uh, I, I think... Uh, there should be more and more like a varieties mm-hmm. or ways to do uh, board and governance work uh, around nonprofit. So I would love to know other examples, uh, right? And people who are engaged in this field. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would love to have uh, guest speaker series with them yeah. uh, for a Japanese audience. Yeah. So uh, anyone who's interested in this field, please contact. Okay, wonderful. Yes, please. Uh, if you have that expertise or interested, please reach out. I think that would be you know, so fantastic. Kind of along those lines with kind of looking at different models of, of doing this type of work, have you seen anything recently or that you're excited about or any trends that, that you're seeing in social entrepreneurship that uh, you're, you're looking forward to seeing more of? Great question. I was uh, skimming through your past um, podcast. Yes, yeah. Series. Yeah. And then I learned about the studio, startup studio model. Yes. And then I kind of know similar model happening in Hong Kong uh, with this uh, venture philanthropy uh, mm. organization. And then I liked the idea of like coming up with the idea and then incubate the, the business idea first. And then hands down, hand that down to other like a potential entrepreneur right Mm. Uh, to run the the business and scale the business i really like that and then i would love to learn more about the effectiveness and the actual like uh, outcome of this model because it's i i i know it's it's a challenging and difficult model at the same time but it's i think it's, it's it's interesting and promising so i see i see that kind of it's it's not a trend it may be not a trend yet, but um, I would love to see more and more of that. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, 
I would, if you want to connect, we can talk about this, uh, connect with Miles and their work and get more insights, you know, ha happy to do that. And uh, I find that model so interesting as well, uh, kind of different components and, and how you, like you said, build out an e ecosystem and build out a, out a market. So, so happy. Thank you for listening. Uh, <laughs> um, so absolutely. Um, and so um, I wonder what, what's next for, uh, I know the, uh, the Borefellows program, but is there uh, other projects or, or vision for uh, World in Tohoku or uh, anything we can look forward to? Sure. Uh, I am, uh, right now I am working on a kind of a creating a report of what we have done around the cross-border learning journey in the past, and then kind of trying to uh, uh, analyze and verbalize um what's the process and values that we have created mm -hmm. and then what which part of that is going to be uh useful for the the, the world mm -hmm. right by sharing it so uh those like a kind of like impact assessment mm -hmm. and evaluation reporting is uh uh what we are doing right now um and uh, i also want to write a book about uh, non-profit board and governance in Japan, mm -hmm. like, uh, like uh, collecting Japanese practices and yeah. uh, what's effective and what, what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, also that. And then I would love to do more like a more and more cross-border uh, leadership programs mm -hmm. like the cross-border learning journey with corporations and uh, social yeah. entrepreneurs. Uh, yes. That's, that's so exciting. And I know listeners are interested in the work you do um, and would love to get involved. So how can uh, they get in contact with World in Tohoku or you or um, what can they support and somehow, uh, how, how can people uh, engage? If you got interested, just, just reach out to us and then we, we'll find a way to, <laughs> we'll find a way to uh, collaborate with each other because everyone has different specialties and experiences, right, in passion. So we want to uh, keep like kind of, um, how can I say, the customized uh, opportunity for each each of, uh, of the, the persons who reached out to us. So that's that. And then that being said, we also, uh, we also support social entrepreneurs in Japan, uh, expanding to scale to the world. So uh, if you are interested in helping Japanese social entrepreneurs kind of uh, expanding to other parts of the world, uh, we, had, we have many entrepreneurs who are interested in doing that. So uh, that's also an opportunity. We also have internship opportunities all the time. Um, yes. That's so awesome. Uh, so, so exciting. So much good work being done. Um, and I'll include the website and all that information uh, how to get in contact in the episode description. Um, and so for my last question, this is a fun question. Uh, so for my last question, it's called Geek Out. And so guests get a couple minutes to talk about something they geek or nerd out about that they would, like, like that's separate from work. So it could be something, if you had more time, you could do or something, stamp collecting, I don't know, what whatever happens to be. So uh, Mio, if you would geek out <laughs> oh that's a fun question <laughs> if i had like an infinite amount of time i would love to i love sewing sewing mm. dresses and then 
uh, right now I have a uh, 11 month old baby, so I cannot really so it's really dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. To have needles and then <laughs> right. uh, everything else, uh, yeah, around around me. So um, I don't do that right now. But uh, if I have time, I want to do more and more dress sewing dresses oh. and then uh, could be costumes or everyday clothes. Uh, I actually saw my um, uh, baby's uh, a Halloween costume, which was a penguin costume. <laughs> that was so and... cute. I saw that on, on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It matched his, with his chubbiness. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> and then I also uh, saw my wedding dresses too. So I would really? love to see you do more and more. Yeah. Oh, that. Wow, that's amazing. And I think sewing no is a skill that it's it's really important even if you don't sew dresses just to be able to sew and fix something if, if need be so i think uh and just so so many beautiful things one day i want to like sew my own skirts or, or something like that uh so I'll, I'll reach out for tips when, when i get around <laughs> to doing that um but yeah but thank you so much for joining me uh this has been such a fantastic conversation thank you for listening to this episode you can subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and check us out on YouTube. If you're interested in being featured or know someone who should, send us an email at hello at .com. Also, connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore Visidia for more from our guests, Visidia, and the future of inclusive investment and innovation ecosystems. You can also follow me on Twitter at Skylar Cole. Until next time. Now back to our conversation. Mio is discussing creating and cultivating the social entrepreneurship ecosystem in Japan.